Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back into the Savage Situation podcast. It's your host here, Adam Savage. Good to have you guys here. And we've had such an amazing couple of seasons. We're back with a third season. Now I have a co-host every week, Ian Chambers. And we've got so much coming your way. And we have guests coming on. We're talking about the gaming world as well as, you know, things like online, lifestyle, sport as well. So it kind of encapsulates kind of everything that we like. And we hope you guys enjoy it as well. Now, one thing that's really going to help grow the show and expand to a bigger audience and broaden its horizons is if you guys do leave a review. It's really important to subscribe and follow to make sure you never miss an episode but reviews are so key to getting us as high up the charts as humanly possible so that everyone can hear our brilliant podcast that you guys obviously a massive part of as well i do make sure to leave a five star review if you can that'd be amazing with a comment as well and hopefully it'll boost our show to outer space and beyond enjoy this new episode it's a banger if i do say so myself i would say that though but genuinely enjoy Hi guys, welcome back to the Savage Situation podcast. My name is Adam Savage, and on this series, we're joined by a ton of different celebrities, musicians, and influencers talking all about their personal history and love of video games. We've had Ali A on the show, we've had Trixie Mattel, Bring Me the Horizon. The guests have been amazing so far, but there is still plenty more coming your way. Let's find out who's up next. Frankie Ward is one of the most exciting new talents in the esports world, hosting numerous events surrounding the likes of Counter-Strike and PUBG, as well as growing a dedicated fan base on Twitch, the streaming platform she began working for before transitioning to the acclaimed host and player interviewer she's now renowned as. It's been a road full of highs, some lows, and she's one belter of a story to tell. I'm delighted to have her join me on the show. Frankie, Frankie, Frankie. Welcome to the Savage Situation. Thank I, you. I mean, I'm so pleased you're here because there is there is so much to, to chat about. You've had the most incredible last few years, and we're going to go through everything from the very beginnings uh, to where you're at now and everything in between. Let's talk a bit about the origins of Frankie Ward first and foremost. Let's talk about Baby Frankie. Um, what was what was your first introduction to to gaming growing up? I can't remember if it was my dad's laptop or the Sega Master System. Classic. I think it was probably my dad's laptop. So he had this work laptop and it had text-based game, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And Monkey Island 2 we got, and I remember loading all five floppy disks on, and we had a game called Hugo Who Done It. Uh, so that's a sequel uh, to an, another Hugo game. And I remember in the Hugo Who Done It, there was a scene where you had to get outside to a maze because you're basically trying to find your missing boyfriend. And to try to find your missing boyfriend, you're trying to find your missing boyfriend, Hugo. Yes. Or find out if something bad's happened to him. Okay. And so you have to get to a maze outside to find like a key or something. I can't exactly remember what you need to find in the maze, but to get there, you have to go past a gardener. 
And I remember in a different room, you find some garlic, you have to eat the garlic to get past the gardener. And just like solutions <laughs> like that. I love those point and click games. So that was yeah. what really got me first into gaming. I was the only person in my family to ever complete Monkey Island 2. And actually a few years after I played it, because I think I first played it when I was about five or six and I finished it when I was nine. Might have used a little bit of a walkthrough just to get me through the end bit. But I played that again recently, which was really fun. The the exploits of Guybrush Threepwood. Guybrush Threepwood, a mighty pirate, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a mouthful. Yes, I completed Monkey Island 3 about 30 times uh, a few years later because that came out around 97. And I lived in the countryside at that point, so I had nowhere else to go or nothing else to do apart from sit upstairs on the Pentium 2 computer. One of the songs, The Pirate I Was Meant to Be, I memorized off by heart. I was, yeah, I was just obsessed with that game. But now when I look back at it and I replayed that one recently as well, I was very upset because Elaine Marley is my favorite woman in gaming, I think. And she is the governess of, uh, which which island is it? She's she's the governor of an island in Monkey Island 2. And then in Monkey Island 3, she basically gets engaged to Guybrush. And in Monkey Island 2, she's already dumped Guybrush. She doesn't like Guybrush. She has to rescue Guybrush constantly. He's a liability. You, you, you were very much involved in the, in, in the Monkey Island storyline. The narrative has, has struck yeah. a chord with you. Monkey Island 4 was terrible well, as well, if we, so I'm very upset about it. We've that. had the Fortnite World Cup recently. If yes. there's a Monkey Island like championship in the waiting, Frankie, I, I can't imagine anyone not winning that but you. Oh you, you, know, you know your stuff. You know what my dream podcast interview would be? Apart from this one. Yeah, apart from this one. Thanks. But if I was to do the interview, it yeah. would be uh, Ron Gilbert. Yes, from okay. Island, and also Tim Schafer from Double Fine, who worked as assistant director on Monkey Island too. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he's, he's an amazing uh... man. I've been in a room with him a couple of times and he seems lovely. And I actually spoke to him very, very briefly at the Game Awards a couple of years ago. So, yeah. Yeah, I met him he's once. Cool. He's, a, he's a very cool guy. He's cool. I'm sorry. I'm basically digressing. Uh, no, it's from fine. I, what, my is, first game. Yeah. This is what we're here for. Like, yeah. I mean, this, is, this is the thing because obviously, you know, you and I have worked work a lot in the gaming industry. It's a major part of our, our life and esports we'll talk about and everything as well. Um, but it's always nice to find out where someone actually begins in, in gaming because mm-hmm. there is everyone has had different entry point. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, yeah, mine was like Wolfenstein and Doom on like my dad's PCs and the NES yes, and yeah. kind of games like NES Golf, Nintendo yeah. Golf and stuff. So there's, everyone has their kind of own kind of entry point yeah. into it. So, and here we are today, you know, covering all these different games that yeah. like PUBG and CS and stuff. My so. mum's my friend, Pauline, who unfortunately, she sad, sadly, she passed away recently, but um, I used to sometimes go around her. She was like a, not really a childminder as such because she was my mum's friend. Uh, she had two daughters who were amazing. They're about 20, 23 or something. And they used to babysit me and my sister. And we'd go around Pauline's and she had a computer as well. And that's when I first played Doom. So I was about seven when I first played Doom. And it was just a demo. So I only played a demo of it. I never got like beyond <laughs> that. And I remember sort of jumping over the lava and, and things like that. And that was great fun. And there was another game. And I'm desperately trying to find out what this game was called. I can't remember. I think you had to collect letters... And there was purple slime involved, and it was a platform game. And I just can't remember what it's called, and it really annoys me. Slime. I've been Googling it and Googling it. I cannot find what this game was called. I have was no it, idea. What, what platform was it? Was it Festus Quest? It was on Quest? PC. Okay, PC. No. Okay. But you, okay. you play this guy, and I remember there was a level where you jumped up trees. There was one where you were in a castle. I, I just, it's really weird, because I really loved this game, and I 
cannot remember certain details right. about it. We're putting it. it out there now officially. If anyone yeah. anyone knows what this game is. I mean, we've yeah. given them quite a vague explanation. Yeah. Purple slime climbing trees collecting letters. Yeah, probably the let us, know on, let us know on social media. Yeah. Get in touch. Please. We want please. screenshots. Please. Please. Please save us. <laughs> Go back to, I mean, you mentioned demos a second ago. I remember growing up and having those, the PlayStation magazine had mm. like demo discs with every issue. Yes. Man, I used to yeah. love that. That was great. Well, I bought my first PlayStation when I was nine. Because yeah. when I was um, eight, I got cast in a Royal Shakespeare Company production, which makes me sound very push. Um, I went to a Saturday Stagecoach and I was uh, admin picture in the agency brochure. And I went along to this audition in London. Never, ever was successful in pretty much any of my auditions. And uh, this one, for some <laughs> reason, it wasn't speaking well. Maybe that's why uh, I was successful. And so I spent like six months or something alternating with a girl as a bridesmaid for Queen Gertrude, played by an amazing actress who sadly no longer with us called Susanna York. Um, and I would basically dance on stage with an Irish actor, actress called Derbyville Crotty, who was playing Ophelia, and then just play with Silly String and then just walk off, eat bonbons. And then I was on stage for five minutes, basically. Uh, but with the money from that, I, I only spent it twice. Uh, and I'm sure I spent more of it now as an adult, but you know, it's, it was in my savings. I bought a PlayStation one when I was nine and then I bought a gaming slash PC I could do school work on when I was 16 and a pair of, pair of rollerblades, like 200 quid aggressive rollerblades. It's all, it's all the three things you need in life. Yeah. A PlayStation one, a PC and some rollerblades. Exactly, That's but, perfect combo. But the PS1, I couldn't afford to buy any games for it. Okay. So I used that to play just the demo disc pretty much or a couple of pre-owned games. So I never really had that many classics on my PlayStation 1. I had the demo disc, which had Tekken 3 demo on. I used to play that over and over. You could play Zayu and Paul. Uh, and it had a demo for a game called Buster Groove. And I actually found that pre-owned. And me and my sister played that obsessively. It was a rhythm game. And uh, had like some Parappa really Parappa the Rapper, those kind of, Oh, my God. Yeah, I never played Parappa the Rapper. Yeah, it looked but, great, though. Yeah. Basically, you couldn't play it on a dance mat. You had because there were combos with your um, with your PlayStation controller. So playing it on a dance mat would have been silly business. Yeah. But uh, I was <laughs> yeah. really, really good at it. My my favorite character to play was Frida, Surfer Girl. And I also got Tekken Two, and I was obsessed with Tekken Two. So good. I was a, I was a Paul fan. I like Paul. Uh, yeah. I could get my. I mean Yoshimitsu. I mean Yoshimitsu is great because you can make him look like he was humping himself. You could commit uh, seppuku. You could. Paul, bit basic bitch for me. Yeah. Bit basic. Yeah, a bit basic bitch. Yeah, well, yeah, I had the combos down. Straight yeah. off the, straight off the mark, I could I could smash someone up mm. very quickly. So yeah. here's my guy. Extraordinary hair. Yes. Extraordinary, Extraordinary hair. Extraordinary hair. Growing up, access to all these different games. You had so much I guess a wealth a wealth of knowledge as well. You're kinda of getting you know, kind of really kind of building up your library in the gaming space. Uh, yeah. I mean I used to read when I got older, I read stuff about stuff on Wikipedia because I couldn't afford to buy it. So yeah. or again I when I finally got PlayStation two when I was fifteen. I would again. I just buy pre-owned games because I yeah. couldn't afford. Full I used price. To, I used to canvas free ads. Do you remember free ads? I don't know if it was like a, it was like a yellow newspaper, and oh, every single Saturday, we're like, right, who's selling stuff cheap? Yeah, Destruction yeah. Derby two for three quid. I want it. That's I'm all so over good. it. It was good times. Yeah, my sister had an N64. Yeah, so. and he's golden. Banjo Kazooie. Banjo Kazooie. Great. I mean, yeah. I mean, what was what was the point then for you? Obviously, you know, schooling and such, and you go into um, you begin working in the gaming industry. What was your, what was your entry point into working in games? And actually, it was a job as such. So my origin story in gaming was 2015, and I was working as a senior content producer at the BBC for a product called BBC Live. Very boring, but uh, to explain what that is. For the Olympics, the BBC developed a live platform because they had all these sports that they needed to show, but they couldn't show them all on TV at the same time. So they had live streams. 
essentially. Yeah. And then with that, they'd have text commentary. And that was a really popular product, we would call it. And so that's used, you know, if you're into cricket and say you're at work and you can't watch the match or listen to the match, then you could just look at the text updates. But if you could listen as well, the feed would be embedded in that page as well. So you have the option to listen as well as look at the updates. You put in social media, all that kind of thing. So it's kind of like a live blogging platform with a visual audio element if you have that. You're an OG in the blogging space. That was, that was you, I mean, Frankie. This is 2015. So I, okay. I've been blogging since about 2008. So I used to be part of the uh, like hyper local blogging scene in Birmingham. But that's another story for another time. Uh, hyper local <laughs> blogging kind of didn't really take off. God, Birmingham was times. an amazing place. Amazing. Like, I went there as a, you know, as a student. So, and it helped me get into media. So I worked in radio, yeah. I worked um, mostly as digital producer. And so. I was working on a project around League of Legends. Now, it's very hard for the BBC to cover video games because of something called undue prominence, because if they show one game, they should show another because it's a commercial product. But because League of Legends was taking place in Wembley and it was the quarterfinals of the World Championships, there was an excuse for the BBC to, to try and get its feet in there and actually test the waters a bit was it broadcast on bbc3 this I think. it was a bbc3 bbc sport project but it was only online okay so this right. was uh just before bbc3 went online only because yeah. that happened in around february 2016 march 2016 i believe that happened um and you got a bit you got obviously got a bit of a, a buzz out of being surrounded by gaming being involved in that kind of yes. space so yeah i was running i built the website and i was essentially editing the text coverage with a caster called Richard Cam, aka Pulse. It's where I worked with a guy called Joe Miller, who's the head of talent at VSL, and he was running the broadcast from Riot side because he used to be a Riot caster, and also Lee Demon-Smith, who also used to be a Riot caster. So James Stress, O'Leary, and Demon were doing the casting. Julia Hardy was our roving reporter, who's an incredible gaming host. We had Dev from Radio 1 hosting the the sort of desk part of the broadcast Mm -hmm. and asking the questions that newcomers needed to know. But I just really enjoyed it because we didn't have a system like Twitch chat. So I was getting feedback from the audience via Twitter and via Reddit, just on my personal accounts. And I also would try and get to know the audience by just chatting to them. Everyone had a really good vibe. Everyone was really enjoying the game, but the atmosphere was electric. There were like 11,000 people in Wembley's SSE arena watching this which for some which you know is a, which is enormous but you yeah. know when you compare it to like some places like in Asia where they fill out stadiums of like oh, 40,000 yeah. you think gosh it's, yeah. it is incredible it really this, is this is nearly 4 years ago yeah. i remember being on the train putting my lanyard on and a guy coming up to me and being like, oh, sorry, do you work for Riot Games? And I was like, no, actually, I work for the BBC. And he was like, oh, we heard you were doing stuff and people saying it's really good, but I'll let you walk on your own. And I said, no, man, we got like, we got to walk to the stadium together. And so we had a little chat and then later on on Reddit, he said he'd spoken to me. And I thought that's really cool that the audience is very, they're social. They, yeah. They're actually really open to communicating, to giving feedback and things like that. And I think sometimes when we talk about esports communities, people think of them as being very, um, I guess, closed off and yeah, not quite receptive to new people. Yeah, yeah But yeah. actually, they were very happy that the BBC was, was trying something. Yeah. And because of that project, I enjoyed it so much, I just thought, because I was working on so many different things. I was like doing live coverage of The Apprentice, Bake Off. The last show I ever did at BBC was called Trainspotting Live. I was doing Radio 3 opera stuff. I was doing so many different genres and I wanted to specialize in something and gaming is something I've always done and I've always enjoyed. So I discovered Twitch from doing that project and decided to look up jobs there and there happened to be this 
basically a producing role going. Yeah. And then nearly a year later, to be honest, July 2016, I got my first full-time gaming job. And that was at Twitch? That was at Twitch, yeah. And what was it, what was, when, you, when you got a full-time job working in games, was it kind of like a, I've made it, I've done it, I've, I've, I'm there now, I'm, I'm in amongst it all. Did you, did you feel straight away that it was de- what you were destined to kind of the, the kind of area that you were supposed to be working in or how, did, how, how was it when you first got there? I don't know. I, I was just really excited to be working in games because I hadn't realized that I could get a job in the gaming industry. Because obviously when you think about the gaming yeah. industry, you think, oh, it's someone who makes games. But actually there's so much more around it. And it's so obvious. It's yeah. obvious. Why did I not think of that sooner? But I'd never thought of working in games before I did that project for the BBC. So suddenly I was there and I was really happy. And I was like, well, I don't want to go anywhere else right now. I'm really yeah. happy doing this particular job. There were areas to develop and, and things like that. And lots of people to to meet. And I wasn't really part of the Twitch community before I joined Twitch. So I decided to start streaming in the office. Then I built my own PC so I could stream at home and I was streaming on PlayStation. I got a hyperoptic, like high-speed broadband installed because before I had like up, down of less than a meg. So I realized I needed less to... Than... Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so I okay, that's great. In 50 meg instead. Wow. <laughs> so I could actually using floppy disks properly. as well. I mean, I might I, I mean... as well have been, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I started doing that and then really became part of the community yeah. and started doing working a lot with charities on their broadcasts, made friends with a lot of streamers, particularly from the UK. I'd work all around Europe producing shows at places like Gamescom. I'd go to like Poland, uh for an event called Poznan Gamery and I go to TwitchCon in the US. And, it, and those, those relationships as well, like the, net, the networking in, in gaming is what is so yeah. important. It's so, it's so, it helps so much yeah. um, getting getting forward, knowing the right people and knowing everyone, just like it would be in, in, in traditional kind of telly or yeah. or in the kind of, you know, film, music. You Having those relationships, I think, makes a massive difference to everything. And opportunities. I was so, yeah, I was so surprised at how welcoming people were. Yeah. People were just not like, Oh, she's just an imposter or that kind of thing. People were really keen to, you know, chat. And maybe that was because I worked for Twitch. I don't know. But it was really cool. And even since leaving Twitch, people are still lovely. People are still my friends. It's great. Was it it a big... Obviously, you've you've gone from working as a producer and now you're in front of camera, you're hosting, desk hosting, stage hosting. You know, what what was the transition from working as a producer into... Um, working as talent as such because that's 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 quite a big leap <laughs> I guess the opportunity there there's got to be a moment that suddenly everything kind of the big bang happened and yeah. it was like right Frankie's arrived what what was what was that moment well I started doing hosting on the side when I was working for Twitch as a producer because I'd, I'd pop on stage because I often budget man I could have two hosts and I'd be producing eight to ten hour shows <sighs> so that's a lot that's a yeah. long time like insomnia uh, land in Birmingham we I'd run the esports stage, put the finals on, and then have some content by creators as well, say Twitch partners. And I'd have a couple of people anchoring that. But they also didn't really know how to talk about esports. So there was one event where I literally had an in-ear piece to them and I was there was I'd sort of organized a desk segment or desk style segment about the League of Legends final that was coming up. And so I got the casters to come on and just introduce the teams and things like that to my host and I'd write the questions for them but then I'd be on an earpiece and I'd just be like ask about who's going to get first blood ask about who's going to get first blood and I'd just be guiding them, them through yeah. yeah and luckily the casters could actually hear me that the audio wasn't isolated to so just my host so the casters would be like right okay we need to we need to ease our host in kind yeah, of thing yeah I think I realized I was 
a lot more interested in it than, than some of the hosts I was working with. And that's not their fault at all because they were Twitch partners and they're interested in video games that they played and they wanted to do stuff with the other creators and that made sense. The esports thing was something that happened to be happening on <laughs> the stage as well. Yeah. So were you, were, you, yeah. were you always keeping tabs on what was going on in the esports space in general yes. anyway? Yeah, just I like, was I have interest to. In yeah, the... absolutely. So okay. particularly Counter-Strike and also when Overwatch League started as well. Yeah. Um, I actually was really wanting to maybe work with Overwatch but I couldn't because I had a full-time job so yeah. quite a leap of faith isn't it as well when you go from having a full-time paid salary and then suddenly going right am I going to go freelance yeah put it on the line and just hope that it works out yeah so it, it is a big jump to make I had a full-time you know? safety net that I loved but I also there was always part of me that kind of wanted to try hosting and then I started co-hosting Jinx TV The Bridge and I which remember is, that show starting a year before and watching it and being like, I could do that. Which is kind of where we first kind of met as well. Yeah, I think at Jinx, because hosting shows at Jinx as well, like um, now it's predominantly an esports network. Whereas when I kind of first started, there was like a more kind of gaming entertainment yeah. MTV kind of style kind of attitude towards different formats. Um, and I remember seeing you very briefly on a couple of occasions, like, you know, um, this is when you were kind of doing more, I think, you were, what kind of shows were you hosting? Was it, you said The Bridge? I did The Bridge and then straight after I left Twitch, Maybe even the week after I did uh, a six-part show about Fortnite. Okay. How to play Fortnite. But How to play Fortnite. Yeah, but my, and I, <laughs> you know, I've hosted this week in esports once since then, kind of. So I go yeah. back to Jinx uh, occasionally just because yeah. they need someone to fill in or something yeah. like that. It's, I, I always thought it was, it was a good place to learn a, a number of skills. Yes. I, I learned oh, tons yeah. of different stuff, you know, over the years. But obviously, from Jinx, you then um, I, I mentioned this earlier on before we we started um, started on the podcast here. But for me, the big thing I think that happened in your career was when you did the PC gaming show at E3, mm -hmm. and suddenly, wallop, Fra Frankie yeah. had arrived <laughs> on the big. I mean, that's that's a big that's a big gig as well. You know, the, yeah. the, the E3. Is, is the biggest gaming show in the world every year. Mm -hmm. And there you are fronting one of one of the biggest live events that, that there are there. Yeah. Um, what was that like? It was mad. mad. Yeah. yeah. Um, I first learned that they were interested in me because I was working at Twitch and Twitch does co-streaming and Twitch studios who I was a part of. The uh, team in the US, it was just me in Europe on my own. They'd had a meeting with the various different uh, producers of the press conferences at E3 to discuss uh, Twitch Partners co-streaming and the official live feed on Twitch and things like that. And they had mentioned looking at me as a host. My friend Britt actually messaged me and said, are you doing the PC gaming show this year? And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Do you mean I, I did a PC gaming show in London, like weekend thing in February. So maybe they were talking about that. But no, no. And then a week later, my agent messaged me and was just like, so PC gaming show E3, they're looking at you if you're free. And I was like, what? It's massive. Yeah, it's, 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 it's it is extraordinary. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Yeah. And then I lost my job at Twitch. And then a week later, I was booked for PC gaming show and I was booked for um, a show in Austin, Dreamhack Austin, uh, Desk Coast and PUBG as well, because I basically got made redundant and sent off a load of emails. I got made redundant in the afternoon, went to a Costa Coffee around the corner from the Jinx TV studios, started winging off some emails, had just finished a show with Edit, luckily, and then went and hosted the last episode of The Bridge. 
Wow. It was a busy day, yeah. you could say. Yeah, but thank goodness that round the corner was this PC gaming opportunity. Yeah, and you didn't have to kind yeah. of, you know, being redundant is always a bad thing anyway, but yeah. then there's this opportunity. And you go out to LA with, uh, and, and suddenly you're in front of the world showcasing <laughs> the new PC games coming out in the year ahead. Yeah. What was that experience like? Was that pretty daunting? Or were you kind of just like grabbing it by the horns and, and just flying by the seat of your pants um, a little bit? It was daunting, but so I just done a dream had cost in desk hosting PUBG. PUBG is a game I had an affinity with because I know Brendan, aka Player Unknown, and I'd been making a film about PUBG before I left Twitch. So I'd come off the back of that show and it was my third time ever desk hosting. My first time desk hosting in front of a live audience, actually present in the room. And it gone it felt like it gone well. I got to be myself and just have fun with it. And so I was kind of buzzing from that. Then I got some bad news midweek and I was like I had to pick myself up. But then I started getting sent trailers for PC Gaming Show and I got sent the script and noticed there were some bits that hadn't been written. So I volunteered to write those, started script editing and started really getting into it and going, okay, can I work this show so it feels like me as opposed to just me reading something? And the PC Gaming team were amazing and they were so up for that. So when I got there, I've been staying in a youth hostel in Austin. So the first day like when I landed and then sort of went into eight hours of script rehearsal I was so tired and I was really worried and I met up with Sean aka Day9 who has hosted that show since the beginning and he's also the partner of my friend Britt who I work with at Twitch so I I'd met Sean before and I knew he was a lovely guy and he had this like really funny music it was like almost like elevator music but fun it was kind of like bossa novary and he just put a little earphone in my ear and we're just like in the theater walton theater which is beautiful in la and we're just like little like and i was like okay everything's gonna be okay yeah and we did that in the morning of as well he just put it on his phone and we're just like turn my phone on silent um and go and do the show up in the balcony and it is terrifying, but I have fun. The audience seemed to enjoy it. At one point, I had to tell the audience to behave themselves because I made a joke. <laughs> Their reaction to me telling them to behave themselves was actually louder than the joke itself. Yeah. It was around a game called Maneater. So I'm, I kind of got known on Reddit as the Maneater after that. I, I after remember that, the joke yeah. very well. I yeah, do, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My dad actually texted me after that because I, I texted him and said, thanks for watching because his wife had put up a picture on Facebook of them watching me on an iPad. Yeah. And so I texted and said, oh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for watching. And he just replied, did you write the man joke? And I said, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah, so, yeah, it was crazy. It makes a massive difference because, you know, when you're, you know, I remember when we were first starting out as well and you kind of get given a script or get Mm. given something, someone else has has written something for you. And you think, I would never say that in that kind of way. And you try and say it, it doesn't feel natural. When you actually get a chance to write something yourself, you feel more of a part of it and you kind of have ownership of it and you can kind of roll with it. And having the the ability just to kind of, you know, be yourself, as you say, that naturally adds so much... The pressure kind of really dies down, I think, when that happens. And you can yeah. kind of really just kind of, yeah, ease into it and just, and, and own it. If and you've think, hired me, you want me, right? Yeah, That's exactly. Or if you've hired you, you want you. So yeah. it's really important. I remember starting out way back, way back when. And I was like, so I want to be a bit like Zane Lowe and a bit like Steve Jones. And then with a bit of that, you know, and I was, I was trying to be, I was thinking, why am I trying to be other people? Yeah. Why am I trying to be like that person? Yeah. Just be this guy. Like, and that, you know, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, then I'm a terrible person and I shouldn't be doing this because. 
definitely should definitely Awful. be doing this. But no, luckily right. it was okay. No, right. Luckily it was okay, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And then, and then obviously you've done, you did the PC gaming show, and as you say, it, it, things just, I, I remember just it blowing up for you. It went, it went, it went wild, and mm. you started doing loads and loads and loads of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've worked, as you say, across PUBG, um, yes. CS, and loads of PUBG last year. Yeah. What's been some of the highlights for you over the last kind of you know twelve months? Um, I think just getting to work pretty solidly, and the people I've worked with. I had to make a big decision in, I think it was November, December, um, to commit to something. And it would have been a big life change. And I decided that it wasn't quite right. And there were some personal reasons why as well. Was and it a, so the to end, a project or to a, yeah, to a game? Yeah, okay. to a project. And oh, it was really hard. It was so hard. And why was it so hard, Frankie? <laughs> <laughs> because it was like a dream. It was a dream thing yeah. to do. But the circumstances at the time just were not quite right. So I had to say no. And the end of last year was tough because of that. I thought, oh, my God, what if I never work again? And I just I just signed up to do McLaren Project Shadow in, in January and a mobile project, um, MEO by Red Bull, which was in Germany. But I didn't necessarily have anything else on my slate then. And then I got booked to do Splatoon 2 in Stockholm between those two events. And then when I was at McLaren, I got the message confirming that I was going to be going to the major. <laughs> and the major, the, the um, basically, I am Katowice, Valve, Counter-Strike major, the first one of the year. So two a year. And basically companies like ESL, Face It, et cetera, they pitch uh, events either made for a major or they pitch an existing event to be a major to Valve who published Counter-Strike and also published Dota 2. Yeah. And so... It's, it's very similar to... If you, yeah. So majors, yeah, they come around, as you say, you know, once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. This is in Counter-Strike. Mm-hmm. And you were talking like top prize... Is it a, is it a million Is it a million dollars? Or is the, is I think the, the prize pool is about that, yeah. About a million and dollars. And 24 teams go to the major. So you have 16, at, uh, 16 in the first two stages and then eight in the final arena stage. There is different ways to qualify for the major. You can play in to get to the minors, or you might be invited to the minors because you got through to the challenger stage, but you didn't get any further in the previous year. I'm not exactly sure how the direct invites for the minors work, so I should probably, don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah. um, and then if It's you, all very confusing. Yeah, it's all very confusing. If you got to a certain stage in the major, the previous major, then you will get directly invited to the major itself. Yeah. So that's why we have eight teams come in at the second stage of the major, known as the legend stage, because they got through to the arena stage of the previous, uh, the previous event. Uh, at the first week of the major, the challenger stage, if you got through to the legends and you won at least one match, then you get through to gotcha, the okay. uh, first week of the major. So I'd done, uh, I desk hosted something called the Gamdon Premier. That was my first Counter-Strike. The Gamdon Premier. Yeah, like a tier three, tier it four. It sounds fabulous. Event. Yeah. Uh, I, that was my first CS desk host. That yeah. was my second ever desk host. Wow. And then I desk hosted the Face It Minor, the America's Minor in London yeah. in July. And I'd done interviews for Star Series 6 in Kiev. So yeah. that was in October of last year. So I'd done three Counter-Strike events. So really the community did not yeah. know me and suddenly I was doing interviews for, for Katowice. And one, it's an intellectual master's event, IEM. They mean so much to me because I've watched them, the music. That was the big thing for me was hearing the music in my ears. That was it's insane, isn't absolutely it? crazy to me. And the fact it was a major. Because it's, 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 quite, it's quite, um, 
with esports, obviously there's obviously the stage host role we're on stage. The desk host is what probably one of the most integral roles of the whole show because obviously you're kind of you're kind of um, working with the analysts on the desk. You're throwing to the commentators. You're kind of you're kind of running the the production as such from like a kind of like a on the stream and both yeah, internationally. Right? It's yeah. it's yeah it's it's quite it's quite a big a big role and to keep keeps timings and such and things change like that. They change yeah. in a heartbeat in terms of you know how much time you have for things. So it's it's quite it's quite tricky. Well that's what I did mostly last year. This year I've mostly done interviews. So desk hosting wise I desk hosted uh for Dreamhack Open in Tour France, which is a tier two event. Uh, and Dreamhack Opens are amazing because they let new talent come through and give teams that experience as well. Uh, I mean, the one I hosted was one by Mouse Sports, who are a tier one team. They'd recently changed the lineup and things. So it was really great to see them working, uh, especially they have a player called Chris J, who's been part of Mouse Sports for years. For me, he's, he's the heart of Mouse Sports. He'd been benched. And then Carrigan, who is a legendary in-game leader, mm-hmm. most known for, for FaZe Clan, his time there. He'd had a really difficult time leaving FaZe. And then he'd put this lineup together and he put Chris back where he belonged in that lineup. And so it's just fantastic to see them doing so well. So going to IEM Sydney with them and then and then seeing them in France as well and just seeing them go from strength to strength. So I think they qualify for the major through the minors. They're going to have an incredible run. And I just really like that team. They've got some great mm. young talent and then they uh, in Voxic and a young player called Frozen. And then they have got, of course, they've got their stalwarts in Carrigan and Chris J as well. And it's just really, really exciting to see where they're going to go. You've got to keep, I mean, all the names. You've got to keep so yeah. many tabs on players because oh, things God, change. Yeah. Yeah. All, like, lineups, rosters change all the time exactly. for these teams. It's a lot to learn. Yeah, it and is, yeah. I, I, my first week of the major, I then got booked to, to go and do interviews for a lot more Counter-Strike events. So I basically hit the road and was hardly home from really including the previous events I'd done. I hardly spent any time at home between mid January and June. Yeah. The longest I spent in the country really all year until I had some time off in June was two weeks. Cause we, cause, cause I mean, we've, we've been, I mean, that's the great thing about this year, actually, we've mm. actually had a chance to work together a few times, which is great. We have, yeah. we, we work on the blast pro series together. So, um, uh, yeah, my more of a stage hosting role, and you're interviewing desk hosting and we went to Brazil, which was yeah, pretty, which was, was pretty amazing. crazy. That was pretty amazing. Was um, huge. went to Miami. Um, we got, we got Moscow coming up as well. If the visas come through, mind you, if, if the, the visas, visas come, come through, through it's tricky business. Moscow, can't wait. But we, I mean, I want to talk about, um, something which, uh, which you mentioned earlier on about the community side of things as well, because it's a huge part of like, of esports in general, as you mentioned, is kind of the exclusive nature of, of, of certain games and having the communities. And it's quite, it is quite hard sometimes to, to break in and be kind of like a, an accepted tour de force talent, we want to call it, in that space. Have you found over the the last year or two? Have you found any it quite tricky? Has it been quite an easy tr- like kind of transition? What's it been like for you? I didn't really notice around doing CS events last year the community, and maybe I just avoided looking at Reddit and things. And then around the major, I had to actually not look at Reddit because people said things that were not true, or people were really harsh. Uh, I get compared a lot to other women who do the same role as me and they're my friends. And so Gosh, yeah. that's just a weird thing. And that's often it's people preferring the way that one looks over the other. But also actually, to be fair, like my friends, Fer and Smix, who do interviews in Counter-Strike. What a dude. Um, love Smix. Yeah. Smix, <laughs> is, she's amazing. Yeah, she's she's a really good friend of mine and, and we love each other and we support each other. And we also have very different interviewing styles. So that's the thing, like not every tournament organizer is going to 
want the same thing every time. So that's really nice. The fact that yeah. there is actually, it's not diversity just in the fact that we are women rather than men. It's actually that we're we're all very different from each other. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really nice thing in the space because it means that I don't have to take it personally if someone else has chosen over me and hopefully they're exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It can be hard sometimes if you, you get that FOMO feeling if you're not doing an event. But uh, you also have to like support each other and that's one of the things about esports is, you know, there are less women so we tend to be able to find each other quite easily and support each other. And yeah. there are some incredible women in this industry and I'm very, very lucky. Like Shocks, for example, who sometimes just Coast Blast, she's went freelance this year and she's known for League of Legends. She was at that event in Wembley in 2015. I walked past her in the corridor. I remember she was wearing a green dress. That does sound very creepy, but now she's a friend and it's great. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, I remember, I, remember I, I, <laughs> yeah. I hosted the esports awards um, yeah. the last couple of years. I remember Shocks won, I think she personality. won personality of the year. Yeah, and that's I the first time I met her. Yeah. Back in 20, I want to say 2017, maybe 2018. Yeah, 2017, yes. And yeah. I'd never met her before yeah. and thought, oh, this is amazing. Personality of the year. That's a pretty, that's a yeah. pretty big title. And then suddenly here we are working together in, in the Blast it's Pro great, series. It's, it? it's really cool. It's really great. I will say that the community has got so much better because they got used to me. So there yeah. are still people who hate me, but I can. During an event, whether I'm working or not, I can pop into Twitch chat and say hello, like, what do you guys think of the games, all that kind of thing. And then everyone's really nice, yeah, pretty much. I, it's well, lovely. I recall when, I think it was the beginning of the year, that it was, I mean, some of the, some, as you said, people can be, you know, all everyone who's puts themselves out there in front of camera in some capacity gets, is going to have comments. And every hundred positives, you get one negative, and that's the thing you focus on. But it's it was it was it's, it, it can get overwhelming. Like, you know, the and I, and I remember us chatting, and, and you know, I, I felt terrible because you, you seem so down at times about how how it was getting because it was getting ridiculous mm. um and you're a massive talent and i, and I it's hard because when you one of your friends you see them kind of being um you know given a, a very hard time in some capacity in some respects you just want to say don't listen to it but it's so hard not to because yeah. it's there and it's on the, it's online it's everywhere yeah i got called a bitch when i was doing the major because of my questions people were like she'd make the players feel really awkward and uncomfortable blah 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 i was like no, I don't. I just, if something wasn't working, then I'll ask them what wasn't working. I, I think I have softened a lot because I building long-term working relationships with these players and, you know, I'm friendly with them and they're all great. And it's so much pressure to be doing what they're doing. I couldn't do what they're doing, obviously. Not just because I haven't got the uh, the talent, but just because that pressure is enormous. If a player said to me, if, you know, oh, wins a win, et cetera, et cetera, would I be like, well, actually... You did have some issues with, you know, I might have asked them about their T-side being, you know, they had to reverse sweep, essentially. They had to come back from nothing. So why did they end up with nothing in the first place? I'm going to ask them about that because that's something they need to sort out, right? And people would think I was a terrible person for asking that question. And actually, no, I think in my job you have to be fearless. And yeah, I had BBC interview training. So I came into it from an angle where I was originally, I was like, well, although I want the players to like me, I don't have to be friends with them because I need to do my job. And that was the most important thing to me. Yeah. So I want to tell their stories. That is the most, that is the most important thing to me. But like at the same time, if someone messed with me on camera and didn't give, didn't answer a reasonable question, then I would want to know why they didn't answer my question. Yeah. So I might dig around with them and you, just try and find that out more. I find you in, in, in esports as well. It, uh, you get trolled quite. I, I get trolled all the time. Mm. You get trolled by a lot by play, play. I mean, players are quite hard to interview the best of times as well because a lot have not had any media training. They're kind of like they don't really yeah. want to say much. Want to remain, you know, 
mm. cool and kind of like distant from any kind of personal feelings about anything. It's, it is a really tricky job. It's because, you know, obviously in other, you know, whether you're interviewing a musician or kind of like an actor or something, they, they, there's, there's an element of them trying to sell themselves and kind of be, you know, be kind of really energetic and have a, be very personable. Sometimes the players, they're like, no, nah, I'm, I'm just going to. I'm not going to say anything. It's going to kind of yeah. keep really quiet and make this really awkward on purpose. Yeah. And, it's, and it's like, please yeah. give me something, please. Players won't do that with me anymore. That's see, that's great. You've they got won't that's do that really to me. good. That's really good. Um, usually in any game, but certainly in CS, they wouldn't do that to me. Yeah, because the last time that really happened to me was interviewing Finnish team Ents at Sao Paulo in Brazil. I remember. I remember and this. It's, yeah, it's hard to interview more than one person at the best of times. But I had a great time with MIBR who Brazilian team who are one of my favorite teams just to hang out with in general. And uh, they were really, they were the first team that truly made me feel welcome yeah. and made me feel comfortable in CS. They were just lovely. Uh, and Ents, a team I had history with because I worked with them at Star Series 6. And there's almost this weird narrative that the community's kind of created because I was interviewing their in-game leader. Basically, their in-game leader, Alexi, or their coach, Twister, always does the interviews. And... I was interviewing Alexi at Star Series, and he's quite a tough nut to crack, uh, always not giving much away in his interviews, at least originally, because he doesn't talk about emotions, but he will talk about gameplay. So if you ask him the right questions, actually, he's, he's fairly receptive, right? Yeah. But I said to him at Star Series, if we get through to the semifinals, are you going to give me a smile? And I can't believe even now I'd said that because I'm no, I wouldn't normally say that. Yeah. But I was just finding it difficult to interview, like to, to get yeah. a response from him. And he said, you can have a smile now. And I think that's when it kind of began. And so now people like look for, like people really look forward to me and Alexi doing interviews. Like, like at the major, he was the one who refused to like talk about the issues that the team had where they barely won where they barely scraped through to uh, to the legend stage, the second stage of the major. Yeah. And then they got into the final against Astralis. So their story was amazing. But they did start out with some difficulties. And so when I questioned him on that, he was really harsh, harsh on me. And I said, well, if you play like that, you're not going to get through to the final stage, Alexi. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're not going to win the major. And so, again, I got mixed reactions on that because he was we were both laughing about it. We were having a joke, but the community was like, oh, my God, she's so awful. She's so mean. And now, yeah, when, when we appear on camera together, people like screen grab it. People, there's this actually kind of gross copy pasta, like, which I don't like. It's like, so copy pasta, we say it's copy and paste, basically. Uh, people <laughs> post memes about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, when it? we did this interview in Sao Paulo, uh, because all of the team were there, it was like this peer pressure thing. And they barely answered my questions. And then uh, a couple of them were at the end of the sofa talking in Finnish. And one of them had a headset on. So that audio was actually on the broadcast. But because I was trying hard, and I actually came out of that interview not looking bad because everyone who watched it could see that the team were not cooperating. Yeah. And I think that's a good lesson for myself, but also for the players as well, which is like if you do act like dicks, you're going to look like dicks. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. So, but to be honest, everyone pretty much treats me with respect because I treat them with respect. Oh, I think, I I think it's changed. Issues. I think it's changed drastically over the last few months. So, you know, kind of being, you know, obviously following each other online and seeing how things and, and comments have definitely been become so much more positive and it yeah. kind of makes you feel so much better about the job you're doing as well when people are more receptive to you being kind of, you know, kind of yeah. 
you know, being part of that community, it makes it makes your job easier when you're doing interviews and things. You're not kind of second guessing yourself all the time. Like, yes. I'm totally. I mean, that I, I obviously this year we were in. Um, we were both in Katowice at the same time, mm. and you were doing um, um, CS yes, the major, and I was doing Fortnite. And I remember there was, um, and we even had some, you know, kind of comments that came through to both of us about hosting and like yes. do this better. And we're like, shut up. We, we, we're doing our jobs fine. Leave us alone. Yeah. You know, and those one comments, it kind of gets, gets to you, but you does, kind of have to brush yeah. it off. But I remember, um, yeah, the same, I had the same kind of thing. And I, I remember doing an interview and obviously it went a bit viral. That, I, that, <laughs> that was great though. I interv- so funny. Oh God. I interviewed a cosplayer who um, was full on dressed in Fortnite like a Fortnite cosplay, like, you know, the full on, full on the, the costumes from the game. And we're at a Fortnite event and I asked what, you know, what, they must love the game so much because they're dressed fully. And she was like, no, I, I like a completely separate game. And it went viral. And everyone was like, oh, that's really funny. I thought I'm a terrible interviewer. I've, I've messed up as a stage host. It's over. I'm rubbish. But as you said, like with the, with the interview you did, it's like, it's not, it's not me that looked bad. It was, the, it was, it was, it was her or it was that situation, not, not us personally. Yeah. But because you're in the moment, you feel responsible like you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. So it can it can be, you know, particularly with big games like CS, like Fortnite, these massive, massive games where there are so many eyes now. You know, I look at the Fortnite World Cup recently, you know, which had, like, I think it was the most viewed esports event in history. But even like in, in CS, you're looking at like the Blast Pro Series, all these different events, the majors have hundreds and thousands, if not millions, millions of views. Yeah. Uh, it can It can be nerve-wracking at first once you get past a certain point it's all right yeah i never think about how many people are watching I genuinely never think about it because the connections there with the camera and i'm so busy focused on what i want to ask the player yeah um and when i stage host now because i've had to do that a few times recently and it's it, i think it's the most difficult job in esports uh i you know the my my main thing is the audience that's there so yeah. If there's an audience, stage hosting without an audience in some ways, I think it's even harder. People, people actually, I think, who don't necessarily, because there'll be a lot of people listening who don't, who don't really know about esports that much. And we're mentioning kind of games and, and, and we're mentioning games, we're mentioning kind of players and people are like, what are you talking about? The esports world has is, is grown it, like astronomically recently um, the last few years. It is really, I mean, I look at like, got the, the international Dota 2, the finals coming up in end of August. Um, I think it's at $33 million currently the prize pool. I mean, we're talking about big, big money and big, you know, big audiences. But, you know, looking at the likes of um, Brazil, you mentioned earlier on, I mean, we were in the moment and we captured videos and stuff there as well. But when you have like a Brazilian team like MIBR playing live in front of a Brazilian audience, the the atmosphere there is something else. Mm. It is absolutely incredible when you have people just chanting cheering shouting like you know um you know it's uh, stamping their feet clapping it is it is a different world and it and i and i you know and i think we're both super lucky that we kind of get to work in that as well because it's yeah. an amazing thing to see yeah i had to stage host because oj borge couldn't make i am chicago recently so i was doing sideline and stage hosting and recording links for an esl uh, poland production which I think is actually goes out on Danish TV called World of Esports. So I was so busy in Chicago. It's crazy. And uh, I went out on stage on the first day just to warm up the audience because I like to do a temperature check and just see how they're going to react to me when we're live. But the hardest thing was introducing the teams that were not Team Liquid because there was only one North American yeah. team left. And so I was talking about Ents and I was like, any Ents fans in the audience? And I had a few boos and I was like, you know what? You can totally do that when we're live. If you want to boo Ents, you can boo Ents. I just need you to make some noise. Like Ents aren't going to mind. They love being villains. So yeah. like, let, like, let's hear it. And then I went out 
And then, you know, basically they did that for me, which was really good because I needed something. But really everyone was just waiting for Team Liquid to come on. And my second day on that show, or on the arena show, because the fourth day overall was so much better than the first because there was only one final, right? So yeah. <laughs> so I only had to introduce two teams. And with Ents, I was introducing first. There wasn't much of noise. And then with Team Liquid, you could really go for it. And then people went crazy. And I'm still learning to trust myself on stage. I'm still learning to permit myself to say more and to be myself because I, I had it in my head for a while I'm not this stage host I'm not this stage host I'm only here because someone else couldn't make it and then I realized well actually just because someone else couldn't make it doesn't mean I can't do the job because otherwise yeah. they wouldn't have asked me to do it and the audience in Counts Right they do know me now and I try and make a lot of effort to go to them as well so obviously I'm streaming Counts Right at the moment I will go to Reddit, not too often, but I will interact with Reddit. Uh, when I'm at an event, I will do, I will try and make the meet and greet. Sometimes like my schedule is crazy, yeah, like in Chicago, really busy, but yeah. I will, I'm, I was desperate to go to a meet and greet just to sort of, to see people. If people tweet me and say they want to meet me, I'll go out. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll go out into the arena and try and see people. Not assuming that everyone wants to meet me, but if I can't get on the microphone to do a temperature check with the arena before we go live, I'll literally go out into the into the show floor and I'll talk to people there and I'll be like, hey, so what's going to happen is we're going to play a 30 second intro video and then I'm going to come out. Can you please <laughs> cheer? So I'll literally go out and I, I will it. talk to people. In fact, even if I do get to talk on the PA, I will go out and I will just shake hands and like just go and chat to people and just have a chat with them about Counter-Strike as well because... That we're all there for the same reason. And I really like meeting the audience. Yeah. I really like finding out more of them. Partly that's probably the producer in me, but also it's just the, the desperate fan. How, how the world has changed from playing Monkey Island back in the day to suddenly getting you're on, on your own, going into audiences solo and trying to rile them up, getting them ready for the event that you're about to host as well, which I is, know, it's, it, the journey's mad. Yeah. Um, you mentioned as well, um, I want to talk about the future very quickly, but you mentioned as well about streaming. You're the only person I know who streams Counter-Strike and Twitch sings and you do singing online as well, which yeah. is a very, it's a very mixed bag of stuff. Yeah, I do. I, like I do Counter-Strike. So I'm learning to play Counter-Strike because I tried to play it when I was younger and my boyfriend didn't want me to join him at the LAN party. So there was no point in me playing it Okay, because I had no one to play with. Um, and then playing Counter-Strike, uh, just solo queue, is horrible quite frankly. And I feel like I'm okay to say that because I think Valve, the publisher, knows that too. Yeah. So what I do is I open something called a pop flash server and then we scrim. So I don't play ranked or com like proper competitive. I invite people from my community to jump on the server with me and then we play some Counter-Strike. And it's great because I'm getting better. It's really hard to ignore Twitch chat because they backseat game me and it's like I know what I did wrong yeah, I don't need someone do to tell wrong. me yeah. exactly yeah some people are like oh I can't watch this too painful it's like well go away then yeah because I sometimes I have amazing they, moments then they subscribe me like, oh great I thanks great moments actually yeah, yeah. sometimes I headshot with a deagle which is kind of pistol and I'm very excited that's, yeah that's a big moment um, <laughs> and then and then you yeah. might suddenly start doing a Britney yeah. number in it, later exactly. on in Twitch yeah. Sings yeah. I so, love that and I do just dance streams so yeah but normally with Counter-Strike I finish with a Twitch Sing stream or I get my guitar out and I'll play some stuff so Multi, the multi-talented yeah, Frankie Ward right people become, I don't know about that but people people request songs that aren't on Twitch Sings so I just grabbed my guitar stone like the Smiths the other day because they only have this charming man on Twitch Sings so I thought I'd That's try awesome. and learn there is a light that never goes out because I've never actually played it before I don't yeah. think so I was like okay gonna give it a go yeah nice but I'm like covering songs like by the national and stuff so I think people probably don't even know what I'm singing <laughs> half the time on that channel but I, I want to you know bring 
bring certain artists to wider attention. Yeah, so it's absolutely, quite fun. absolutely. And you know, um, in terms of the future, what, what are you working on at the moment? And um, what and I was, what's the big dream for you as well? Like, what is the what is what is the next? What is the dream for Frankie Ward? What's the next thing you're hoping to kind of you know? Is it going to be the the face of the majors moving forward? Like you know, are you very dedicated to Counter Strike? What, what's 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 for you next? I would like to do LEC again, which is League of Legends, because I did a broadcast like a guest kind of Counter Strike mm. crossover with uh, Machine, who desk hosted the major, is desk hosting the next. What a one. guy! A great guy, and we went over and did that together, and it was so much fun. So I'd like to go and do guest interviews for them again. I'd like to do more desk hosting again because I don't want to get rusty with it. To me, my my big thing is to continue in Counter Strike because I'm not doing the next major. So I'm I'm hoping that people don't forget about me and still hire me to do stuff. Frank, uh, I've I've seen it myself. You know, when people know that Frankie Frankie's going to be at an event now, yeah, people get excited that you're you're part of the, the roster. So I th- I think I think it's working. great. Yes, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just want to keep working no, like and earning a living and being okay. Yeah. I don't think. Uh, I would like to maybe do some more mainstream gaming stuff. Like I would love to work with Channel Four, BBC, etc. I'd like to actually go back to traditional broadcasting as well and explore that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, my first love is esports, so I want to be yeah. doing esports. I want to be well, doing Counter-Strike. I'd like to do a bit more PUBG because I got to do PUBG Mobile recently with my old PUBG gang, and it was really fun. And PUBG Mobile is a really exciting scene. It has yeah. 400 million players and then some around the world. That's insane. Yeah, that is insane. It's like people in India, they haven't heard of Fortnite, but they all play PUBG Mobile. If you're a male and under 35 in India and you've got a mobile phone, you're probably playing PUBG Mobile every day. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I would love to explore that scene more and yeah, just, just keep working. I am so happy. I I wanted to host things. I've done bits and pieces on YouTube. I did like a 30 part interactive video series where I interviewed comedians going to the fringe, for example, a few years ago. So I'd always, always done bits and pieces. And I remember having this sort of chat with someone at the BBC about, uh, presenting and things like that. And she had half an hour with me and she was like, did a couple of exercises with me. And she said, you can do this, but like, what do you actually want to do? And like, what's your brand? What do you stand for? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I found Good gaming answer. Yeah. and sounds cliche, but I found gaming and then I found myself. I suddenly yeah. found something I could truly, really talk about. And I found people, the community I could talk about it with. And it was like that. It was just, it was right. And yeah. so I'm so lucky that I did that event, you know, at Wembley and made this into into my life because, you know, no regrets. Yeah, the best. it's unbelievable. It's a great, it's, <laughs> I, I love your story. I think it's, I think it's so nice to see as well. And I, I'm, I, you know, may you continue smashing Thank it you. from this point forward. And uh, I, I hope the same thing. I hope esports goes a lot more mainstream. I think it's going that direction for sure. Mm. So, um all the best for the future, Frankie. Thank I'm looking you. forward to seeing you at other events we, we can or can't talk about. I don't know if we yeah, can, but yeah. We'll, we'll, definitely we'll be working together. We'll work obviously. together yes. on some things that yes. we can't say right now, but it'll definitely happen. Thank you for coming on The Savage Situation. Loved having you here, uh, Frankie Ward. And we'll make sure to share your social details as well and uh, make sure to follow Frankie and her, and her ever ongoing, brilliant, beautiful journey. And uh, thanks for being on, Frankie. Thank you. And that, ladies and gents, was Frankie Ward. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Be sure to catch me next week for another episode of The Savage Situation. Thanks to Fourth Floor Creative for supporting the series. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube as well.
A massive thanks to you guys for listening to this episode of the Savage Situation Podcast. It's been so much fun. Uh, do as well. Make sure to check out the YouTube videos. Mentioned this at the beginning. We have all these videos of the, the episodes on YouTube. We also have as well highlight clips. So make sure to check it all out. Savage Situation Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. You know, we want to grow this community as big as we can. And you guys have been so supportive so far and it's going to get bigger, better, faster, stronger. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and we'll see you next week. That's right, on the next one. Take care for now. Thank you and bye-bye. 